open your Bible to John's Gospel this morning, John's Gospel chapter 1. You may or may not be relieved to know we will only be looking this morning at verse 3. Let's pray. Father, help us now as we come before your word, this powerful word that in the hands of your spirit goes places that no man can go, does things that no man can do, and produces fruit that no man can produce. Father, we're thankful, so thankful, that we know that when we rise early, on a day when we could rest or do any myriad of different things, that we do not get up and come and to gather together to hear the word in vain. We do not do this in vain. And it's not because of us. It's because of you. It's because of your word that we know never returns void. It always finds its mark. It always does its work. And so, Father, we come with expectation this morning that your word will again find its mark, that your word will again do its work, and that we will be able to leave here rejoicing. God, thank you for your word. Speak through it, we pray. Change minds. Change hearts. Give life where there is death. And where there is already life. Cause that life to be more abundant, more filled with joy, resting in you, praising you for who and what you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There's a tragic story in our time and in our day. It's not a story that's not unfamiliar, nor is it without repeating it in any age in history, but the tragedy unfolded in the life of a man we're all familiar with by the name of Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking, if you don't know, was the famed British mathematician and scientist. But more tragically, Stephen Hawking was a self-proclaimed, self-admitted, ardent atheist. He came out with his seminal work, entitled A Brief History of Time. And in the introductory pages to that book, Stephen Hawking wrote these words. The eventual goal of science is to provide a single theory that describes the whole universe. Tragically, Stephen Hawking never found that principle. Not the one personal God who is the answer to the entirety of the universe. The answer 
to his quest as a scientist to find the one thing in all of life, in all of matter, in all of time that would provide him with this single answer to describe and answer all of his most profound questions, to meet all of his profound needs. Stephen Hawking lived for over 50 years with a slow progressing form of what we call Lou Gehrig's disease. He was confined to a wheelchair, communicating in the last years of his life with one single muscle that remained viable in his cheek that enabled him to manipulate software that would then speak for him. It had been rumored that he was an atheist, and shortly before he died, Time Magazine entered him, interviewed him. And they wanted to know, is it true that at the end of your life that you really are an atheist? And he replied this way, God is the name people give to the reason we are here. But I think that reason is the law of physics rather than someone with whom we can have a personal relationship, an impersonal God. I am an atheist. Tragically, he never discovered what John writes about in John chapter 1 and verse 3. How tragic to be one of the most brilliant scientists to have lived in the last hundred years, maybe in all of history, and yet never able to come to the knowledge of the one who is the answer. As commentator Bruce Milne says in his book on the Gospel of John, from the theological perspective, that theory is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want answers as to how everything in life came into being? Do you want an answer to everything, the, the, the seminal principle of all of life? It's not a theory you seek, it's a person you seek. That person is Jesus Christ. Tragically, Stephen Hawking learned on March 14, 2018, that that theory is the person of Jesus Christ. In our text this morning, John gives definitive answers to the most pressing questions of our existence. That's what we all want to know, right? We want to know, who, who, who are we? Where do we come from and where are we going? Those are three of the biggest questions that all human beings at some, in some way and at some level ask of themselves. We want answers to those questions of our existence. We want hope. In those answers. And we want to know not only where matter came from, but we want to know what matters. What really matters in life? What really has true meaning and significance to us? So John, continuing in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, continuing that introductory point in which Jesus immediately, without any preamble, becomes the focus... John wants to continue that in verse 3. Now, we might look at verse 3 and we might be tempted to think that somehow this is just word filler. Kind of like in Genesis chapter 1 when it talks about God creating the heavens. And there at the end, it almost seems as an added thought, oh, and he made the stars also. It might feel like John 1.3 is simply a a tag-on, is something to uh, segue from verse 2 to verse 4, but it's not. It's filled with absolute principle and absolute answers to all of life's most 
pressing questions. The word who will be clearly seen in John's gospel throughout the gospel to be Jesus. John labors to to prove that this is God's word. This is God's Messiah. Jesus fits the bill for all of those things. John is eager to introduce you to that Jesus. Is here painted as being the one who is the indisputable, undefeated Lord of all of life. John makes only two assertions in this verse. Number one, he gives life. And number two, without him, there is no life. Pretty simple, right? Pretty simple. But, but what John is going to do in the rest of his gospel, because we're still in these introductory verses, what John is going to do is continually demonstrate how it is that Jesus gives life. He states the matter, the principle, very clearly in verse 3. And for the entirety of his gospel, John is going to be consumed with showing you how Jesus gives life. I think about the woman at the well in Samaria in John chapter 4 and verse 10. Flip over there with me. Here's a woman who has no hope. She is living in shame. She's living in guilt. She's living without real answers. She has religion, but no real answers. And Jesus says to her in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God and who it is, who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Just prior to that with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Jesus illustrates the principle that he is life and whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For all of this, in in John chapter 10, we, we think about Jesus, who is the good shepherd, who came to give us life, and not just life, Christian, life abundant and free. It ends with the resurrection of Jesus, who is the very embodiment of life. Not even death can overcome this life. And so Jesus gives life. He is life. In John 14, verse 6, we, we know that. Verse very well that Jesus says to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No teacher, no guru can make that claim. Only Jesus. I am life. Out of me all life flows. John chapter 4 and verse 14, uh, just in that same conversation we just read about with the woman at Samaria, Jesus tells the woman, whoever drinks of this water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Jesus not only gives life, he not only is life, Jesus is self-sustaining and self-perpetuating life. When he breathes, life comes out. What a glorious God. When he breathes, life happens. By the very power of his own breath. And so John gives us a positive assertion of his power here, an assertion of his actions Notice what he says in verse 3. All things came into being through him. 
all things. Now, not to bore you with a grammar lesson, but in the Greek language, there are different words that we can use to signify different things within a context. And all, at some points in Scripture, can mean all of one group, but not all groups. Or it can mean some of all groups, but not all of all groups. Or it can mean all as in every single molecule in the entire universe. And that is the usage John employs here. All things. In other words, there is nothing that came into being unless God brought it into being. And John is correct. There's nothing that came into being without Jesus speaking it as the word into existence. So parents, when our children ask us, did Jesus make our house? The answer is yes. Everything in this house came into being some way, including the intelligence of the people who knew how to make it into the material it is now. But yes, we can say all things came into existence through him. There is no matter, there is no time, there is no intellect, there is no power than that of God's. And it was when the word spoke that these things came into being. And we look at the physical world around us, don't we? And my, what a world we live in. Some of you have been places in the last year on vacation and you come back. And again, it's as we said last week, it's one of those statements. You would have just had to be there to believe it. I can't describe it to you. And brothers and sisters, does it, does it ever cross your mind that the world that we see as spectacular as it is, is a fallen world? Can you imagine the life of Eden before the fall? I mean, if it's this good now, can you imagine the earth God had in mind? I have a better question. Can you imagine the world to come? Where there is no sin. Nothing's diminished. Nothing is decaying. Nothing is passing away. It is life upon life because the one who is life, again, spoke it into being. John wants you to grasp the power of the actions of the word. But it's more than just the physical realm. You see, if there is any spiritual life, it too is there because the word spoke it into being. Just as there are no self-made humans, so there are no self-made Christians. John will go on in his gospel and he will show us time after time after time after time that if there is life, it is because the word spoke life into our dead souls. Creating faith, forgiving sin, granting life eternal. Jesus is Lord In part because he is word. And what the word does is all things. Be it physical or spiritual. All things have come into existence because the word came. The aspect which John chooses to focus us upon this morning is that creating power of the word. 
that he does create is clear throughout John's gospel. Think about Lazarus in John chapter 11. A man who had life and lost life, but when the word in flesh shows up, there's life again. What a glorious illustration of John chapter 1 and verse 3 that is made in John chapter 11 with Lazarus. And we can make an argument, and I don't think it's a stretch to make this argument, that John's gospel, perhaps more than any other book, shows that the word is always creating life. That's what he does. That's what he does. That's why I believe that Revelation, and when we have a picture of the new heavens and the new earth, it's not a stagnant, static you know, place where people are walking around with harps and there's just kind of, you know, I don't know, precious moments in Hallmark. It's a place where life is perpetuated. There's the tree of life that continually produces new fruit and new leaves. I think we will work in the new heaven and the new earth. I think there will be something about our productivity that when it is redeemed by the power of Jesus Christ, we will work for the glory of God and we will see life produced through our labors and it will go on eternally. Why? That's the nature of the word and the word does not change. He is always creating wherever he goes. Life follows. That's your savior. Brothers and sisters, if you know Christ by faith, that is your Lord. That is your King. He is life. And He always will be life. And you will always have life because He will always give you life. I think we think of in terms of eternal life as Jesus gave it and that's all that's... No, no, no. Do you realize Jesus is forever before the throne of the Father? That He is forever sustaining our lives? That He is forever mediating for us, that He is forever giving us life. Our life is in Him and will always be in Him. He can't help but give life. All things came into being. All things will stay in being, if you will, because of the power of the Word's actions. The action and activity of the Word is so key in the Gospel of John. And John 1 verse 3 gives us the interpretive key for the rest of the Gospel. Again, remember the first 18 verses spell out the seminal messages, the the very seed form of all that John wants to communicate about Jesus, the Word. And then he will go on and explain these and elaborate on these truths in the first 18 verses for the rest of the Gospel. And so one of the key concepts in all the gospel of John is the idea of becoming. And it finds its root in verse 3. All things came into being. It's, it's from the word that, that literally means to become. To, to, you could say to be born. To appear. To, to, to have life. To come into existence. And every time we see the word, this is exactly what we find happening. That word becoming is everywhere around him throughout John's gospel. It's the same Greek word that is used when they translated the Old Testament back in ancient times when they translated the the Old Testament into Greek so that Greek-speaking people could read the Old Testament. It's the same word in John 1.3 that is used in Genesis 1. 
over and over and over again to speak of God speaking things into existence, to things becoming by the power of his word God said and there was. God, the word, is the eternal power. He's the eternally creating God that these first three verses declare him to be. And what we learn in the first three chapters of Genesis is echoed here. Notice, in the beginning, we could go to Genesis 1 and say, it's in the beginning. We say that God spoke, and here we can say, the word that was with God, the word that is God, spoke as well, and all things came into being through him. John 1, 1 through 3 is an image, mirror image of Genesis 1 and 2. Always creating physically, spiritually. John says it's both, but this is who the word is. It is the very nature of God to be creating, to be creating life. You know, that's why evolution is not just wrong scientifically. That is why the, uh, evolution is wrong theologically. Because of what we do in evolution, if we do, even to, to, to say, listen, I believe in a theistic form of evolution, that, that God, uh, you know, kind of created one thing and then it just evolved from there. God didn't really create all these things. You realize what you've done is not only an error scientifically, it's an error theologically. You have robbed God of his glory because wherever God is, life happens. Life is created. Life is sustained. And it's not in a random way. It's in a very particular way. One of the joys of having children as they get older is watching them learn. We've we're just in a season, a very joyful season in our home of, of our boys being at that age where they're curious and they're learning and they love to share what they're learning. And it's just, it's a blessing as a parent, you know. You think, my kids are going to make it. And Weston came in yesterday and he, he said, hey, I, have you ever heard of this principle, this mathematic principle? It's what happens when your kids start taking college level classes. They start coming with stuff you you feel like the idiot in the room. And he said, I, there's this principle that we learned about in class where mathematically everything is ratioed perfectly and consistently throughout the entirety of the universe. And he began to give examples. And you look at that and you say, that could not have happened randomly. Only God could do something like that, that orderly, that it's the same across all of created matter. Only God can do that. Only a God who breathes out life can do things like that. And he does. He's the living God. And John wants you to know just how full of life this word is. That all things came into being because he is the living God. And from him all life flows. In Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 26 we read this. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God? Joshua chapter 3 and verse 10. Joshua said, by this shall you know that the living God is among you. And that he will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite. All the world's going to know that our God is alive. 
That he's the source of life. 1 Samuel 17, 26, we're all familiar with David's confrontation with Goliath. What a chapter. And David, against all odds, against the, the most fierce warrior in the known world at the time, David stands up and he speaks out against him when everybody else is running. And he says this, What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? The God of life. What are you guys running from? Don't you know who we serve? Hey, Christian, why are you discouraged? All things have come into being through him because he is life. Psalm 42, verse 2, my soul thirsts for the living God. Jeremiah 10, 10, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God. Hosea 1, 10, yet the numbers of the sons of Israel will be like the sands of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place of them where it is said to them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, you are sons of the living God. Matthew 6, 1616, Peter in his confession, you are the Christ, the Son, the Word of the living God. Hebrews 9.14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? I think the Bible wants you to get a message. God is life. God is living And out of God, all life flows. These verses that that I just read signify more than just a contrast with false gods who are not alive, although that is true. These testify that God himself is the life. Just as Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father. Unless it's through me. Unless it's through the life that I give. The life that I live. This is transcendent life that only eternity can contain. Do you understand the scope of life we're talking about? As I've often said when teaching um, young people, I said your life, as best you know, and as our world tends to think about it, is summarized this way, in a little dash and a piece of granite. That's your life. Your life can be contained to a man with a chisel making one stroke and putting one little line. That's the entirety of your life. That's how it's summed up. But do you know what sums up the life of God? All of eternity. Eternity is filled with the life of God. Eternity cannot contain the life that is in Him. He is transcendent so that only eternity is big enough for this God. He's not bound by time. He's outside of time. He's not influenced by time. It's the power of his life. But think about this, brothers and sisters. As transcendent as that life is, as big as it is, it's also an intimate and imminent life. Because that life is in you. 
If you are Christ, if you have trusted him by faith, if you have been united with him, then that same life, which only eternity can contain, yet in some miraculous way comes to us and now resides in us. With us. We are united to that life. That, that powerful being of whom all things come into being now is applied to us. So that we fellowship with it. We find our being in it. We find our salvation in it. Bruce Milne says this. Love's instinct is to create. So out of the unique communion of love between God and the word. Or between father and son. This universe sprang into existence. Because love's desire is to create. And John illustrates this for us later on in the gospel in John chapter 17. If you want to look there, you're welcome to. I think it's such a pivotal chapter. John chapter 17, verse 24. Jesus is praying. He's talking to his father with such certainty that the mission is not yet finished. Jesus has not yet died. But he speaks as though his death is already completed, accepted by the Father. He is anticipating being back with the Father. He is excited for the life that God has created for his disciples. And he closes his prayer this way, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me to be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Verse 26, And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. In other words, the spiritual life that I created in these men that came as a result of you loving me in eternity past, has now created this response to sin in which I have now given life to them, and it all sprang out of the love between the Father and the Son. So much love between the Father and the Son that God, Father, Son, and Spirit could do nothing less than create. That's what he does. That's who he is. No wonder John can say so succinctly and definitively in verse 3. All things came into being through him. How has God done this marvelous deed of showing forth his life? He does it through the Son. How does the Godhead show us this? How does the Father demonstrate through the Son? Through the one who is the word. You think about, again, the terminology that God chooses to use here. It is the word. What do words do? They communicate. It is God communicating to us. But when God communicates, he also creates life. When the word of God goes out, there is life. Go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. Then God said, 
words, let there be light, and there was light. Go over to chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground, and God breathed out life, didn't he? He breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and at that point, man became a living being. When the word of God goes forth, when the breath of God goes forth, it creates life. That life that is an overflow of the eternal communion between the Father and the Son and the Spirit is embodied for us. We see it. We clearly grasp it in the activity and the power of the Word. God creates us first physically, and then He creates His people spiritually. Spiritual life breathed into our lifeless nostrils. Nostrils that have been made stiff by the rigor mortis of sin. Notice the language, would you please, in verses 12 and 13. Remember I said that a defining principle of John's gospel is this idea of becoming Coming into being. And that same word is used again in verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to do what? Become. To come into being. To them he gave the right to become the children of God. Now let me ask you a question. Did the children of God become the children of God by their own will? By their own power? By their own abilities? No. No, in fact, we read in the next verse that it is not of blood, that is of oneself, nor is it of the will of your flesh, your ability to do this, nor it is the will of man, your genealogy, uh, those who would will you to God. No, but of God. How did we come into being? Because the Word, through the divine action of the Word, as only He could do, gave us the privilege of being His child. That we might become by His creating work, by His granting work, we might become the children of God. The word born in these verses is derived from the same Greek word become. So we read of becoming, but then we also read of being born. It's the same word. We are born by the word. We are birthed by the word. John 3, verse 6, Nicodemus is struggling with this idea of the new birth. Jesus says to him simply this in John 3, 6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Nicodemus, your flesh isn't going to do this for you. You'll never get to where you need to be, Nicodemus, by being the greatest rabbi in Israel. You You won't get there. You won't do it because you come from the right bloodline. Nicodemus... What is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
The Spirit gives life, not the flesh. Nicodemus, in other words, the life you need can only come from one place, and it isn't yourself. It must come from above. The Spirit and the Word always working together. John 6.44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Do you hear the language of giving out, breathing out from God life? The Father will draw him. The Father will enliven him. The Father will bring him and give him to me, and I, in my resurrection life, will raise him up on the last day. Why? I am life. And out of me comes life. John 6, 65, just a couple of verses later. And he was saying, for this reason, I have said to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. The Father, the Father has not given him life. He's not coming. They're not coming. They're dead. And this is that pivotal moment in Jesus' earthly ministry. You'll remember But all the disciples went away. The crowds dissipated. They're scandalized by this. What do you mean you are the sole source of life? What do you mean we can't do this? What do you mean? And until the point that it's just Jesus and the twelve standing there. Crowds are gone. They're offended. Not a church growth strategy. And Jesus looks at the twelve and do you remember what he asked the twelve? Do you want to leave too? Too hard for you to take? Do you want to go away as well? Like the crowd just did? The only way to find life is in the one who possesses life because in him all things, physical and spiritual, come into existence. How many of you have sitting at home Matthew Henry's commentary? Several of you do. Matthew Henry, the old Puritan, a treasured student of Scripture, wrote this. Speaking of Jesus, he is appointed the author of our bliss, who was the author of our being. He who came to make us new people is able to do so because he made us in the first place. What joy there is in the word. The power of the word to give life. Henry says, listen, we are, we are the new people of God because we've always been the people of God. We are born a second time because we were born the first time and all of the times are because the word created it. All things, all things, be it in the physical or spiritual realm, came into being through him. Now notice what John does next. Something he's going to do for the entirety of the book, so just get used to how he writes and speaks here. But he'll state the proposition in a positive light, in a positive way. And then he will switch, and in a negative way, he will state the opposite of what he just stated. And so John gives, by this assertion, the necessity of the word doing this. Notice what he says. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Notice the contrast. 
through him in the first statement and apart from him in the second statement. By this contrast, John emphasizes that if you don't see it, it's because God didn't make it. It's like some of these big box department stores. You almost get the sense when you walk in, if we don't have it, you don't need it. I think that's Amazon. But God, if it doesn't exist, it's because God hasn't made it. It doesn't exist for a reason. Why? Because through him, all things have come into being. It's come into being through the word and there is nothing in existence that did not come from him. If you see it, the word did it. If you don't, he hasn't and apparently won't. There will be no other way to be physically alive and there will be no other way to be spiritually alive than that Jesus did this. What joy there is in that. What joy there is in that. Let me tell you why there's such joy in that. One reason is that you don't have to keep running around in your life searching, wondering what you might have missed out on. If the word has done it, it's done indeed. It's finished. It's complete. How how many people have we all known in our lives and they just seem to be in that tragic cycle of bouncing from one thing to the next, always searching but never able to land on or come to the knowledge of truth and comfort and assurance. The problem is that they're looking in the wrong places. Because the word has done it all and there's nothing else for us to look for that needs to be done or that could be done or that we might be missing out on. Jesus did it all. He not only paid it all, he did it all. And so there's no reason to keep looking. That's why I find, to be honest, I find the whole space exploration thing to be a bit humorous. We keep looking for life forms and maybe it's out there. And it's like, well, have you stopped to consider we haven't even gotten to the bottom of what's here without looking at what's there? But if it was there, I can tell you who put it there. But brothers and sisters, we are left with a world of wonder and awe that life has oozed out. It has been spoken out. And wherever that word hits and wherever it penetrates, there is life. Jesus, I am the way, I am the truth and the life and no one will come to the Father but through me. There are no other paths. Quit looking. There doesn't need to be another path. We have all that we need in Jesus. If you wish to live, you must come to the Father through the Son. John 5, 26. Perhaps the best explanation that anyone could give. For just as the Father has life in himself... Even so, he gave to the Son to have life in himself. Like Father, like Son. They're both God. They're both deity in the fullest sense. United in that life-giving 
power that resides within them and only within them. And that is why John says in the next verse that we'll get to next Sunday, Lord willing, in him was life. How did Jesus have that life? Because the Father gave it to him to have it. And that life was the light of men. In Christ alone. In Christ alone is life. From Christ alone comes life. To Christ alone we must live our lives. For it came from him and it must go back to him. Brothers and sisters, he is not a theory that explains the universe. He is the reality that explains it. There's nothing theoretical about the word. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. What a glorious God we serve. What a glorious Savior. What a glorious life. We can have in him. But again, as we discovered in the first hour, that only comes by faith, brothers and sisters. By faith and faith alone in him alone. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for this awesome and powerful realization that we have in just this very succinct and small verse. May we never read it again in the same way. Father, give us time to contemplate the truths and the extent of this verse. We'll never get to the bottom of it because we'll never get to the bottom of who you are. But as Matthew Henry said, what bliss there is And trying. What bliss there is in knowing what we can know. And what we can know is this. That you are Lord of life. You are life. In you all life resides. From you all life comes. You sustain it. And you'll carry it on forever. So may our joy in what you've created. Not only physically but in our spiritual new birth. In the rebirth that comes when you make us alive, you show us our sin, you grant us faith to believe, and you bring us to yourself. Cause us to rejoice in that. And Father, if there is one here this morning, or one listening later on, that doesn't know what that life is all about, Father, I pray by your sovereign and good hand, by the hand that has brought every human being into your presence, that has brought every human being who's ever been saved by your grace to that point, by that same power, bring that person to know the life of Jesus Christ in them as well, by faith in him who died to pay the penalty for their sin, which was their death, in order to give them life instead. Thank you for that exchange that comes as a result of your life-giving power. 
May we look for it. May we cherish it. May we dwell upon it to your everlasting glory and our everlasting joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.